the Keen Eye. We're back here today recording another recovery story. We're really excited about it. We're here with Brittany today. Brittany is a marketing consultant at KSRM. She's been sober for five years now. She's a mother of five mm-hmm. and a wife. Mm-hmm. All these great things going for her in her present life. First question we want to start with is one that we've been kind of thinking about for a long time now, and it's one mm-hmm. I think that creates a misconception for people, like we were just talking about directly before this, you know, we were talking about how nobody really wakes up and goes, oh, I want to be the stereotypical stigmatic addict today. So kind of what was that process like between coming to terms with, or not really even coming to terms, just kind of realizing that like you couldn't, what you were doing was no longer manageable Mm -hmm. and that you may be, may need some help. Well, I guess it just stems from my childhood, you know, and the way I grew up and um, that I guess, you know, drinking and partying was just kind of what my family did all the time. Monday night, Wednesday night, Friday night, Saturday night. Um, my parents played darts. They drank a lot. We were always having parties at the house. You know, I was the oldest of four. I was the one, you know, kind of sneaking over and taking a sip out of the beer. Or I actually have a picture of me standing up on a chair. I was like one years old, one and a half years old, chugging a beer. No clothes on. So that's kind of where it starts for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, um, I was always around. I was always there. My first little run-in with drugs was when I was like 10 months old. My mom found me in like a big plate of cocaine, and it was like all over me. And so I guess it was just part of my bloodstream. Like I really... It was just always around. I just couldn't escape it, kind of. Um, and then as I got older, a lot of other things had happened to me. You know, I was molested at a very young age. Um, started when I was about seven, and didn't end until I was like eleven um, by a male cousin and then a female aunt. So I kept that all inside, right? I kept all that inside. I just created. I was just this little bundle of shame walking around. You know what I mean? Um, so I did everything I could to not feel. At 12, I started sneaking out. I started drinking. I started smoking pot. started having sex. Basically, I didn't want to be me. I didn't, I didn't know how to live in my own skin. And so I, I would drink and drug, um, and it lasted for a very long time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. Where it begins. That's the beginning. So. Yeah. so how long were you in your active addiction? Um, well, starting, I mean, as soon as I took that first sip at 12 years old, it was just like I was, I was off and running. So um, I just quit five years ago. So mm-hmm. I guess I'm 28. <laughs> so I don't even know. How many years is that? Yeah. Like 12, 13 <laughs> yeah. years? From 12 to 28. 12 to 28. Yeah, 16 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so... And it didn't stop. In between there, you know, multiple, you know, DWIs, general license revoked, um, got my kids taken away. That was kind of my my bottom, you know, my mm-hmm. rock bottom. Uh, yeah, getting my kids taken away was kind of what did it for me. But, um, yeah, lots of crazy, really bad relationships. Um, you know, I uh, got into sex trafficking. I, you know, it was it was really, really dark for a mm-hmm. long time. And um, I just think it's amazing how God works because today, here I am, you know, mentoring these women and these children coming out of sex trade and, and working with Priceless and um, being able to give back. You know, it's 
pretty amazing. I can go For some people who don't know, can you kind of tell us about Priceless a little bit? Um, Priceless is an organization that helps um, men, children, um, women get out of the sex trade, gives them resources, healthy places to live. They actually work with law enforcement and help get these people out of these situations. It's an amazing organization. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think... Uh, one thing that also has is similar to addiction in that it has a lot of kind of mystery around it and a lack of understanding is human trafficking. Yeah. Because I think like we've talked about people fail to recognize kind of the, the complexities that are involved in addiction. Right. It just gets lumped into one idea that mm -hmm. someone is like robbing homes and like doing a bunch of drugs and have a needle hang have a needle hanging out of their arm right. and there's no in between and yeah. there's like a lack of understanding there and I think the same thing is it goes for trafficking you know they think it's like only some like in some dark pocket of Mexico with no. a bunch of cartels it's literally happening right here right now and that's I think in and people say <laughs> that just right. like people say that there's you know, a certain amount of addiction all over. And you can see the addiction a little more. Right. But you also, I think sometimes we don't see necessarily how prevalent addiction is because it's such a hidden uh, thing that people try to keep yeah. behind in closet. Yeah. So however much you're comfortable, I would be really happy to learn. Um, what did trafficking look like here in your experience? What does it kind of seem to look like around here or in other communities that aren't in the deep pocket of Mexico, right. you know? Yeah. Well, it just kind of started with, you know, me being just sad and lonely and, you know, looking for, you know, that person to love me or take care of me or, you know, um, and that's kind of how it started. It was like, I, not only was I drug addicted, um, but I had no money, nowhere to, nowhere to live, nothing like that. And somebody was just, messaged me on Facebook a few times here and there and was like, hey, you know, you're beautiful. I'd love to get together sometime, you know, and then me being who I was in that moment was like, okay, yeah, let's do it. He's being nice to me. He's treating me good. He wants to buy me gifts. He wants to take me to eat. He wants to, you know, let me stay at his house and take care of my kids. And, you know, and before I knew it, I was living a nightmare <laughs> with my kids there. Um, it was a nightmare. So, you know, they say that there's, you know, you don't think of like underground sex trafficking, you know, here in like Soldatna or, you know, or, um, but it's around and, you know, and I still to this day have to protect myself. And I know that, um, you know, a lot of people tell me like, Brittany, I can't believe you still live here. You know, I can't believe you're in this town and you don't, you know, walking around like looking behind your shoulder and, um, and it's because I am clean and sober and because they're not going to mess with me where I'm at in my life right now, you yeah. know? Um, but, um, but that's kind of how it started for me, you know? Um, just thinking that there was somebody that was going to help me and take care of me. And then before I knew it, I was stuck. Um, I had to stay high, right? So he supplied me with my drugs, my money, a vehicle, and it took a long time for me to escape that situation. So, so they, they kind of prey on the, the weak and yeah. the vulnerable and then trap them. Yes. As in, like, you, if you leave, you're... Yeah, if you leave, you're go I'm going to hurt you or okay. your kids or And your you're going to lose everything yes. that gives you any kind of basic needs exactly. that meet your basic needs. Right. So do they, do some of these different people, do they 
I imagine it's somewhat of an organized type of business-like kind of thing. I mean, just like dealing drugs. Um, right. It goes deep. It goes right. really, really deep. Yeah, and that's Too what deep I, for that's me. What, right, and that's what I failed to... <laughs> yeah. I fail to grasp, I think. I uh, like I hear that it's here and I hear stories about it's here, but it's still something that's hard for me to make yeah. like meaning out of, you right. know, like as in like what does this actually look like? Just when you talk even when people talk about like a similar idea of like mm-hmm. terrorism or something, right. you know, like it sounds and I have like a vague kind of formless idea of what that looks like, mm-hmm. but as far as any like real concrete things. Well, it's, it's hard just for like me. drugs, you know. I mean somebody pays somebody to bring the drugs across the border who pays somebody to whether put them in a boat or put them on a plane or put them up inside of a woman or mm-hmm. a man or you know what I mean how graphic that is but mm-hmm. that's our reality that is money to them so same with sex trafficking it's the exact it's the same exact thing um it's money you know it's yeah. and it's actually more money than drugs is today yeah. so that's what it is you know whether we they you know get somebody from you know to fly in from the states and they get girls you know to come or people to come down here and grab you know, grab girls from here and take them to Anchorage or whatever it is. Um, yeah, it's it's happening all the time. Mm-hmm. So that's just kind of how it works. It's the same with same with drugs, same with people, unfortunately. Yeah. 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 So. So it sounds like when you were growing up, mm-hmm. your at least being around substances was was normal, like yeah. very normal. Mm-hmm. But so if all of this was so normalized. You eventually came to a point where you thought, even if this was normal in some context, it actually is causing me a lot of problems at this yeah. point or causing me great heartache. Mm-hmm. Maybe this isn't like normal in every context. Right. Maybe I, what was that process like? Oh, well, I think that it came to a head when, cause I was the oldest of four. So I had to like, you know, take care of my siblings and make sure they didn't see, you know, their dad beating their mom. And, you know, I grew up really fast, you know, um, and so I guess at first it was something I hated, you know, I didn't want nothing to do with it, I seen that, you know, my mom's sleeping in a vehicle all the time, you know, I'm, I'm calling the cops on my stepdad, I'm, you know what I mean, there was so much horrific events that happened in my childhood, um, during those years from, you know, when I started walking, I guess, until like 11, I was done, like, I didn't want to raise my siblings anymore, I was like, you know, I was the one getting them up for school and brushing their teeth and putting them to bed and, you know, saying their prayers and like, and doing all of that. And at first, you know, I loved it. And then it was like, this isn't my job. I don't want to do this. You know what I mean? And I, and instead of taking that healthy route, um, you know, I wasn't healthy myself. I had so much pain and shame and resentment that I naturally just wanted to drown out. So it just... Mm-hmm ended up being that way, you know? So, I don't know if I answered your question. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think I uh, <laughs> definitely understood where you were starting to like experience a lot of a lot of resentments and I, mm-hmm. I I think that those resentments, you know, make make sense. Um yeah. So 5 years ago you mm-hmm. you got sober though. What was maybe the six months or a year before that? I guess my question is when were you cuz at some point you're 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 doing drugs and alcohol, mm-hmm. trying to drown things out. Right. Are that is that whole time you're like you're well, you're, you're telling yourself that like I have a problem. 
yeah. but, but it's mm-hmm. kind of better than the alternative at this point. Right. Well, I was fairly successful. Like I started, you know, when I, um, I started was drinking and stuff, but it wasn't automatically, I was addicted to the needle. You know what I mean? It mm-hmm. was like, it was progressive. The illness just progressed and it progressed. And it was more like, I mean, when I turned, I was taking care of my uncle also. I started taking care of my uncle. He's mentally and physically disabled, born that way. Um, I actually started taking care of him when I was like eight. So on top of my siblings, I was also changing his diapers and like feeding him and stuff and watching him also. So when I turned 16, I was told I could get a job. You know, I could get paid for that. Yeah, Um, probably a little more enjoyable job. Yeah, Yeah. and I started working for Frontier. Um, Also, during this, when I was 10, I was also in a traumatic uh, car accident and like went through the windshield and I was hospitalized and like this close to death. So I also um, struggled a lot with like learning stuff and like being able to retain information in my short-term memory and anyway, and all that too. So there's that trauma on top of it. So, but I started working and I, you know, got my driver's license and stuff like that and um, making really good money. I worked for Frontier being a PCA. So I started getting my stuff together and just kind of partying here and there. So at 16, you don't really think you have a problem. Right. At 16, I'm Mm -hmm. just like... This is a normal thing, yeah, you know, yeah, drinking yeah. every once in a while with my friends. I have a good job. Mm-hmm. I had a, you know what I mean? I was doing well. Um, and I did that for like 10 years. I worked for Hope for 60 or Frontier for six years and Hope for four years. And during that time, I got like two DWIs, you know, I was still like, oh, I just need to not get caught. Like, mm-hmm. you know, this is going to be okay. But you were um, maintaining but I was, employment yep, I was, oh, yeah, I probably was some main, basic yep. housing and yep. other needs. Yeah, uh-huh. I yeah. You know, had a steady until boyfriend. Were, and so until you, were, you worked at kids. Frontier for six and then yeah. hope for four? Mm-hmm. So during those time, I had three kids. Yep. During so, that time, I had three children. And you got clean at 28. Yeah. So something between kind of 26 and 28 hit the fan. Yes. Uh-huh. So at 26, like two years before you ultimately got I even sober, went to, I went to treatment at, um, when I was, I think it was, I was like 25. Oh, so I went here to you're house. starting to yes, think like, here, oh, okay. yes. I, so what was like, when did you come? But it was still what like forced, tw- you know, oh, okay. cause I went to jail and they're like, okay, well you need to do treatment. Well, when I went to the outpatient at Staccata, they they were like, um, yeah, no, you need to do some inpatient. Like, this is your second DWI. Like, there's some pattern here. <laughs> I was like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. So I actually was pregnant with my second child when I went um, to Serenity House the first time. And I did really good, really good. And about, he was, I don't know, I, was, I had him while I was there. And then afterwards, um, that's when that guy contacted me. When I was actually staying at the women's, the house that they move women into, the Serenity House, mm-hmm. I was staying there, and then it was like, yeah, and I, I think I turned 26, and then it was like those two years, it was just hell. So, yeah. you, okay, so you turned 20, about <clears throat> around 26, you just finished treatment, yep. but you're still thinking, I don't, like, this isn't really <sighs> a problem that I need to take on, right? Your, I had hit addiction. my bottom. I had hit my bottom. I knew I had a problem. So addiction knew, runs in my but family. you were still going to try to, so yeah. you, like, in I was going to try to manage it myself. In your heart, like, you knew, like, yes. oh, man, this is bad news, but maybe yeah. I can still pull it off. Like, yeah. maybe. Mm-hmm. And you probably had some doubts, but you, yeah. you thought maybe you could. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so, then you messaged and... And so then the next yeah. two years were all downhill. Yes. 
Yeah. Really bad. Mm -hmm. And that brought you to your bottom? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. I actually, um, in that process, um, 27, uh, pregnant with my third child. So I used my whole pregnancy. He is beautiful and healthy by the grace of God. I don't even know. Born, he was born with drugs in his system. OCS got involved right away, right? So took my kids like this. She is absolutely crazy. She's lost her mind um, and took me to the hospital, dropped me off at the hospital. And um, so I did, you know, all the things they do at the hospital, to, um, I guess the psych, well, I don't know, whatever they do. And that was all fine. Um, and then that was it. I didn't see my kids right when that happened. They're like, you're not going to see your kids at all. Um, from that moment, I went to Serenity House again and I stayed there for like, oh, it was like six weeks or something. And I decided to do long-term treatment. Um, and I went to Ernie Turner Center in Anchorage for six months. I did all that. Still, still no words from my kids. Um, and then I finished all that. And How old were they at that time? Jace was six months old and Jackson was two. Mm-hmm. And I didn't see them for two years. So it took me those two years, you know, year and a half to go through treatment, get everything together, do outpatient, graduate outpatient in Anchorage. And yeah, and get that, you know, get home, find stable living, get at my own place, get a job. And I was like, I shouldn't have gotten them back. They were about to get adopted. Um, but I did. <laughs> wow, that's incredible. We went to court and was like, I'm serious, I'm doing this. They looked at everything I'd been doing and um, and they started the process of bringing my kids back home. So That's awesome. Yeah. And Jay, yeah, Jace is it just turned six the other day. So it's kinda it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what's it um what's the experience like now being a sober parent? Versus, <sighs> versus the opposite. Ugh, it's amazing. Yeah. It really is amazing, you know, not having to worry, you know, what am I going to do? Where am I going to get my next fix? How am I going to feed my kids? What am I going to... Um, is amazing. Yeah, I couldn't ask for anything better. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't... And also, it's funny, because I didn't, like... You know, like you were saying, you don't wake up one day, you know, and say, oh, this is what I'm going to do, and I want, I'm going to, you know, use drugs, and I'm going to use when I'm pregnant, and I'm going to, you know, put my kids through this nightmare, um, but it's so beautiful on the other side, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, and what a story and what a testimony to glorify God. Did you go, like, from the hospital pretty much right into serenity? Um, pretty, pretty close. There was like a two week gap in between there where of course I went, of course I go back to that guy, right? Mm-hmm. Because now I don't have my kids and now I don't have anywhere to live and all my clothes are there. Everything I own is there. And so I took off and left and then uh, called Serenity House. I went over there and Sherry over there, um, she was like, well, I don't know. I don't know if we can get you in because, you know, they want to make sure people are serious. You know, they're not going to hold a bed for you if you're not really serious. And I was like, I'm serious. I need to get in right now. This is, And she's like, okay, you know what? I'm going to give you one hour. Go get your stuff and get back here. And I think it was like a test, I swear. It was like, 
you're going to give me an hour to go put another needle in my arm? Like, I really, you know what I mean? Like, but I did and I left and I went and got high again. But I, and I was like literally there like 30 seconds before. And she was like, oh my gosh, you made it. I was like, yeah, I'm here. Like, you know, and I just, um, and I just knew it was over from that moment on. Like, I just knew I was done. I couldn't do this no more. Um, just completely broken and at my bottom. I was, I was done. I remember driving on the way there to Serenity House and she was like, you know, like, you don't ever have to do this again. It blew my mind. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. Like, I don't, I don't ever have to, I don't ever have to do this again. I don't ever have to harm myself. I, you know. What was it like attempting to, like, access those resources as compared to kind of what you were expecting? Like, was it a little bit more um, challenging? Was it easier? Um, and how were you feeling during that process? I mean, that's got to be a hard acceptance to come around to. Were you still kind of bargaining with yourself? Oh, no. Like, I'll do it. No, no. you're done. I was absolutely done. Yeah, and okay. I took every single suggestion. I did every single thing. Um, it was good that I was at Serenity House as long as I was waiting for a bed um, because I had that time to, like, you know, my mind heal and work through the steps. The steps are really what did it for me. When I was able to get through those first, you know, four steps and surrender and tell somebody else all these deep, dark, sick secrets. I mean, I didn't tell anybody that I was molested until I sat down with my sponsor ever that entire time. You know what I mean? Um, Never told my parents, never said nothing to anyone. So it was like when I did that, it was like, this is what freedom looks like. You know, I was just in chains inside of myself. Um. And just could not breathe until I did that. And it was like when I finally spoke everything to the light and got all those secrets out, it was like, I'm unstoppable. <laughs> like, like, really? <laughs> you know? Um, and I just knew that this is what I wanted forever. That yeah. I never wanted to go back. And I wanted to help other people to share their story and their their secrets and be able to be free and so, yeah, and I'm actually also doing that, too, with Pursuing the Hidden Heart. I don't know if you guys have heard of that or not, and Gene McConnell. But that's what he does. He speaks all over the world about um, getting to the root of your shame and building healthy relationships. And it's all about getting out those deep, dark secrets. Um, so I also teach a class on it at my church and stuff. Um, so helping people um, do that is just so so much freedom mm-hmm. and not having all those all that stuff inside so that was a big turning point for me because I'd never done that before mm-hmm. you know the other times I went to Serenity House and worked the steps I was like oh I'm not I'm not sharing that not sharing this you mm-hmm. know having those little reservations and things that you know can nobody I can't tell nobody that you know I can't and <laughs> so that was that was what did it yeah mm-hmm yeah, that's uh, between what you said and what I heard last week from like two different people. It's kind of been like right in front of my face this whole time. I just haven't like grasped it in such a simple way. It's like someone said, and, and we've heard this before, right? Is that it's that the drugs are kind of the they're they're like a, ultimately just a symptom of yeah. everything else, you yes. know. And I've heard that, but then so I kept true. trying to think like, what exactly like. Is it? And I think like the basic idea is like 
the overall disease that causes this is like an immense amount of hardship or trauma yeah, pain and that, trauma that, and, that it comes along yeah and shame yeah. you know i mean as when i was a little girl i mean my favorite thing i'd love to dance and i love to sing and i love to play softball and you know i had all these things i loved to do but it didn't matter how how much time i spent on the ball field how many how much time i spent up on stage dancing you know it was like i still had this shame and i still had this ugh I felt dirty. I felt gross. I felt nasty. The first time that I was molested, it was like, I am damaged. I am no longer a good person. You know, I was, it just. What's hard about that is like, unless you talk about it or exactly. you come around to it, there's I, no way to like redeem yourself, right. you know, like yeah. if, and this is a trivial analogy, but I like, I guess it's in contrast to this idea. Like if you fail at like some kind of task or some kind of whatever that be whatever goal it mm -hmm. might be let's say you want to be great at at dancing yeah. like, like you're gonna do it as a sport you may have times where you fail and you think and it, like you're like i am an awful dancer and maybe at times you're even like oh because i'm so bad at dancing i'm a an awful person you know like right, as right, right. but there's there comes a time where you can kind of redeem yourself like mm -hmm. you can kind of practice and kind of get a little better and eventually you probably just aren't going to feel that much like right yeah but like with what's going on with a lot of the trauma where people are abused is that there's no like you can't unabuse yourself you know right and you so you can't like oh i'll try this again like a like a sport or like a skill the only way to come about it is to like as you said, like pursue that well, hidden right or feel loved, you yeah. know, in a different way. Like I was so confused about what love was. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I didn't know. I didn't. Okay, well, he must love me because this is what he's doing to me, or you know what I mean? I was so confused about it that that just I think that maybe if I would have had somebody I could have talked to, or you know, but there wasn't. You know what I mean? Everyone was drunk all the time, yeah. so it was like there's no way I could mention that to anybody or tell anyone. Um, you know, and then it, I don't know, that's, yeah. If I would have had somebody, maybe it would have been different, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know. Yeah. And I think yeah. we, we look at like treatment and we say, okay, we're going to get this person sober because I think you can't, it's hard for people to address those other things mm -hmm. where causing the problems, right? Um, they address like the abuse when they're using when they're a lot of it. drugs. Right. You know, yeah, you gotta I mean, get sober are, first. Yeah. So the first part, because what we hear is what we've heard over time is that like the first part of treatment is like operation, don't do drugs. You know, yeah, I mean, it's, right. not, it's not. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's not operation heal your heart quite yeah. right away. Right. It's like I mean maybe you do a little bit of that from time to time. Yeah. It's like operate. You know, don't yeah. do drugs. Yeah. And then there comes a time where like really and that's hard but what mm -hmm. really gets to like making changes is when you start to address those other things yes when what was that timeline like for you when you started to th like you're not doing drugs you're not doing drugs and then there comes a point where you're like okay i think there are other things for me to address right now well it wouldn't be the first time through treatment so right, <laughs> right. you know because it was just i just wasn't there i wasn't there yet um, and I was still in that, this is a phase thing, you know, like this will be fine. 
Um, so definitely my second time, I mean, definitely when I was, um, at my bottom, you know, um, and lost my kids and stuff like that. I think that I was like, okay, I'll do it. Like, if you tell me to stand in the corner on my head and count to 10, like I'm going to do it if it's going to help me stay sober, like whatever. And I did, I literally did every single thing my sponsor has said. She said, read the book. I read the book, highlight everything, highlight everything. I, you know, I got core, my core five. I, every single thing she told me to do, I did it. And I got on my knees and I prayed every single morning and every single night. And it was like, okay, like that's what helped me live. Like I listened to everything that she said. She had, you know, 22 years, um, a beautiful life, you know what I mean? Um, and she got up there and told my story. And I was like, you know, like this. And I just knew that um, if I just kept doing the next right thing, you know, um, helping, helping other people and just not using no matter what, that my life would get better. And it did. Um, but that's where it was. It started. It was, I was just like, I will do anything, whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do it <laughs> because mm-hmm. I want what you have. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. yeah, it's really cool. Cause I mean, listening to your story, you know, it's, that's like the first time cause it's, I am, um, this is kind of off topic, but I, it's okay. <laughs> I coach wrestling too. So you see, yeah. we see just like the app, things about like learning and role models and yeah. stuff like that. Like it's cool because like, the first real role model you had was like a hundred percent commitment. You know what I mean? And like, that's kind of what it took, you know, like, and I think that just speaks to, I mean, how important certain people are in our community, you know, like teachers, anyone who's outside of like this toxic environment that may be able to see something and be like, yeah, maybe that person needs to talk to someone, even if it's not you. That's what it's all about. I think, you know what I mean? Being able to like with my daughter, for example, my stepdaughter, you know, she comes from a horrific childhood as well. She's she's 12, but, like, you know, her parents in and out of jail. You know, her dad, my husband, also has five years. But, you know, before that, you know, she just had a horrible upbringing, all of drugs and alcohol, and passed from this house to that house and molested. And you know what I mean? And it's like, look what God does. Like, I get to, like, minister to her now. I get to talk to her and tell her, hey, you know what? I went through those things. Here she is, 12 years old, telling me everything. You know what I mean? She is not holding anything inside. She, you know, is being honest about what happened to her. And I'm like, yes, you know, like, (laughs) ah, yeah, I get to do that. I get to sit with her and I get to love her and I get to say, it's okay. It's not your fault. And she has a chance, right? Like Mm -hmm. now she has a, she's only been with us for two years and she has a chance now at a different life, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's because of my crazy shame, traumatic past that I get to relate to her and, and help her through her life. So mm-hmm. it's pretty amazing. It is amazing. Yeah. yeah, that is, that's very profound. Yeah. And that's what God does. So. Mm-hmm. No, that's awesome. It is. I mean, literally every single part of my story and my past, I am doing something with it today. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Whether it's through priceless and how, me being, you know, trafficked and, you know, with pursuing the hidden heart and helping women and, and men and get to the root of their shame and their trauma and telling their stories and, you know, working the steps with women and having, you know, sponsees and, you know, being able to be here for my daughter. It's like, it's crazy. It's God's plan, right? It's like, everyone's like, oh, why'd God do this to me? Why am I in this situation? 
because of this right here. Like, because now I get to help all these people and relate to them in every single situation. People who've been molested, okay, I relate to you. You've been raped, I can relate to you. You know, you've been in drug addiction, I can relate to you. You know what I mean? You had a needle in your arm, you lost your children, I relate to you. And I get to help them through their lives. And so for that, I'm very grateful for my past and where I was. So, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. We are uh, really grateful that you were able to, to share your story. Um, one of the things that is, is evident is some people who are facing addiction today or who are, who are close with people who are, is that we, we can look at treatment is hopefully not just a place where you stop doing drugs but mm -hmm. or alcohol but also where you can address those hidden things yes. that are Driving hurting it. people mm -hmm. so much you know we can we can attempt to take the machine of addiction yeah. apart you know and put it away yeah. you know or mm -hmm. and so that's it's a it's big for me, and I think I think we should all like attempt to understand just what is just what is pushing some of some of this, you know. Because as we try to make sense of sense of it, these are some things that kind of help to explain it, and people right. can start to understand, you know, like right. if you experience these some types of things that if on if not addressed right. they cause they can produce some other types of things that are that are on the surface hard to see mm -hmm. or hard to wrap your mind around right so i know i learned a lot yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah i think what shines through for me personally just in this experience is like and i think for like people who aren't necessarily firsthand in addiction, but may have loved ones in addiction or just in a community wide mm -hmm. sense, like hearing stories like yours is like, you get, we see people and we're like, no, like it's, yeah. it's hopeful. It's hope. And like, yes. it, it may not be now. It may not be tomorrow. It may yeah. not be a month from now. You know, it may be 16 years from now, but there's hope yes. always. Like, yeah. and, and if you're listening uh, today, today could be your day. Yes. It could, Absolutely. I mean, there's hope out there for, for people and there's things and entities in our community that are willing to help you get there. Um, and open up, you know, yeah. open up and be honest and truthful about your past and what's happened to you and the things that you've gone through. Um, because yeah, because that's where it's at. That's where the healing comes in. And that's where God can truly work in your life is when you get everything to the light. So there's hope. And if you're listening today, you can, Serenity House is located at 245 North Binkley Street, mm -hmm. Suite 202. Um, Sherry's the intake coordinator, coordinator there. They'll do their best to help you get in wherever you need and get all the help you need. Um, thank you very much for listening. This was you and I from Kenai.